Today's podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. Okay. I got the per- perfect recipe for a martini. Is it five to one? No. You pour six jiggers of gin into a glass and you drink it while staring at a picture of Lorenzo Schwartz, the inventor of vermouth. This is the bar- best martini joke, people. Very best. I know vermouth isn't typically uh, even actually used in drinks. Typically just waved over the... The, the the cocktail but let's talk about it anyway let's talk about this special ingredient in many cocktails while we have a drink I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. Hey, hey guys. Hello. So how's everybody been doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty Sweet good. And swell. <laughs> Anyone else already drunk? Uh, getting there. Getting there. I'll just uh, say, I, just you guys. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> I think two. Brittany. Of, two of you have a head oh, start. Oh, so funny! Let's all laugh at that joke. Let's all laugh at the drunks. Yeah, that's... <laughs> but yeah, two weeks uh, in a row. The, two weeks in a row. The, I was going to say, it's basically the premise of the show, so... <laughs> that's what we usually do to each other, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I've had a bit today. Uh, <laughs> for say. once. For once, Chris is not the one with line share adventures. Oh. No, no. I, I tend to avoid them now, because baby. You have right. Lion's share? Line. Lion's I mean, share. he had the lion's share of the lion's share. <laughs> he share had limes. He had the he had the lion share cuvee at the end. Oh crap! It's in my trunk. <laughs> uh, anyway. Tonight it'll be good. It'll be fine. Uh, just suddenly realizing what I still have in the trunk and bring in. When you realize uh, no. there's like two hundred dollars worth of beer in your trunk, it's like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah, no, that's. When we're done streaming, I'll go take care of that. Um, no, uh, a local Lexington brewery that I talk a lot about, uh, uh, Baba, uh, Baba, uh, Ethereal Brewing is the brewery. Baba Yaga was the release. They did a certain amount of uh, special variants. I didn't ask them what the price was. I just said, give it to me and handed them my card. It's usually how these things go. You just walk up there and they're like, how many? And no one asks how much. Like, they just... Because the number's going to change person to person. You're just like, look, give me this much of it and tell me a number. I... Wait, why is the number going to change person to person? Look. <laughs> you know. You got to know somebody with the pudding and the pops. and the... <laughs> I I, uh, I had spent most of the night trying to figure out where it was. I forgot to uh, close my tab out. I remembered. And it was at, uh, at actually at Ethereal. Oh. 
So, you know, it's what I remember. Well, they'll get their 20% tip when they close me out. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But no, uh, they, they released Baba Yaga, their Russian Imperial amazing stout. Um, They had uh, a whole tasting flight that you could try of uh, last year's version. That's been aged. Uh, The uh, hazelnut one that me and Chris just happened to stumble upon. Uh, They had a, Mayan version that had some uh, mm. uh, had some chilies in there, uh, the plus uh, one chocolate. made with uh, chocolate and sea salt. Ooh, but that was good. Oh, it was real good. Uh, but meanwhile, I'm waiting in line. They had a giant inflatable heated tent mm. for the bottle share. That's what you do. I mean, it was like a blue tarp. I mean, it was sort of. <laughs> nondescript location for people to do the line share because they knew it was going to happen, and they didn't want the cops called. Is this what's going to happen in uh, in Asheville for Drinktacular? Is we're just going to like get a <laughs> giant blower and one of those propane heaters and a blue tarp that's like a hundred by hundred? Isn't that all I mean, that like Asheville is at this point? Isn't it just like a, a line giant... share that just snakes through the town? That's just all it is all day, every day. I, uh, yeah. Uh, if I were not a, a beer line scrub, I would have remembered to maybe pack like a uh, uh, like a little outdoor folding chair, so I could have put that out to save my spot in line, so I could have gone and enjoyed that. So. In- Fun story, oh. I've decided to just keep all of my line share equipment in the back of the car at all times. Mm. So I've got it's two... like you're a hobo. Two folding chairs and a 15 by 12 uh, foldable canopy. Just, Wait. you know, it could rain. could rain. You bring your own 15 by 12 foldable canopy? Yeah, it could rain. There, there have been times where it makes sense. Instead of an umbrella? Um, oh yeah, because you can't hold the umbrella and do other things. Look, like uh, are you? I don't know how many line chairs you've been to where you're double fisting it, but you, there's no umbrella in this equation. None. You got to be hands never... free. I I happened just just because I knew there was going to be some kind of sharing. I came down there with a cooler that had uh, CBS and KBS. Oh. I had a I had a little Founders stockpile with me, and uh, like you do, I just started striking up friendships with whoever was nearby. Uh, and like you do in line shares, apparently when you podcast, you meet other podcasters because right. you <laughs> can't swing a, <laughs> sorry, I just saw St. Pat in the chat going, Burp. <laughs> yeah, no, he was down there too. Uh, yeah, I, I ran into some guys who do a podcast called, uh, Maniverse. I told them about ours. They did a weird Facebook live stream with me as well, which yeah. I acted as awkward as you would expect. <laughs> Sure. Uh, but you no, know, we had a had a good time just sitting out there. I mean, admittedly, freezing temperature. But you know, you just sit out there, huh? Just crack open some beers, just enjoy stuff. They brought stuff. We brought stuff. Good time was had. Looking at the Maniverse podcast now. Yeah, Casey's digging in. And so there's Bob. What were the variants? <laughs> yep, <laughs> in a hoodie. It's, it's, there's Bob. It was cold, and I had to have my toboggan and my hood turned up because my neck was cold. Turned up. Turned up. <laughs> All right. Uh, what were the variants for this um, year? Uh, I believe it was the, without actually have, seeing them in front of me, I have trouble remembering because, again, 
that are in my trunk because I forgot. And he's been drinking. Uh, Don't worry, you could quiz me on what the Dark Charge variants were this year, and I couldn't tell you. Yeah, uh, I I believe they were trying to do. There was at least four. So there was uh, probably the Mayan, I think the hazelnut, and uh, the sea salt. Do not confirm that to be true. I, again, have true, to go... True, 100%. You heard it here. Uh, they did the Mayan and the chocolate and sea salt. <laughs> you monster. Bottles still available down at Ethereal, or did they sell out? Um, their kegs... They, they, t- they had told me their plan was if the kegs had blown, they were just going to start popping bottles to whoever was there. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Good plan. Popping bottles in the ice? <laughs> no. No? Just thinking. All right, anything stand out uh, during the share? Anything... Uh... I didn't get to go into the main share. That was pretty good. Uh, I heard a lot of good that was supposed to be coming down there. Somebody who was mentioned was like, oh, yeah, no, we've got some Firestone Walker down in there. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And I was like, I can't get down there to try it or I'll lose my place in line and not be able to buy anything. What was it they brought? There was there was a, a hazy IPA that the Manaverse guys that I had met down there had. And I... Cannot recall what it was. There was something about a monkey. I mean, it wasn't Brass <laughs> Monkey, was it, from Listerman? No. Brass Monkey? No, Brass although monkey, as monkey. I was talking to them, like, we're like, you do the in, the inevitable uh, uh, podcasting penis measuring. Oh, yeah. How many subscribers do you have? Oh, how many do you have? <laughs> I made a pointed effort not to describe that because I don't remember how many we have. I uh, decided ever not to describe not always my, a super accurate number. I try not anyway. to describe my penis in public. I mean, <laughs> right. It wasn't the Flying uh, Monkeys Chocolate Manifesto, was it? No, no. It was... Uh, is that a thing? Possibly. The Flying Monkeys is a brewery, and uh, the Chocolate Manifesto is one of their beers. It's from Canada. Uh, that sounds I like a, someone Urban Dictionary that. What, what is <laughs> the Flying Monkeys? Chocolate monkey? Manifesto? Can I, can I just, the Flying, flying monkeys, monkeys Chocolate Manifesto. I will say one of the most like uh, uh, beer drinker line share thing I could think of happened when like the four of us standing there we've been talking about beer for a bit we all stop and go wait who's everybody on untapped let's just start adding people to that now like all right so you've got them on untapped that is a good way to do that so just like go back and I've unfollowed half the people I've started following at line shares because I found out they habitually do line shares that's all they do on the weekends on Saturday (laughs) they hit like three or four and then they move on that evening to go to big bottle shares and it was getting kind of terrible every time i logged into untapped it was nothing but the, the same guy and i was like this guy has a problem they just want you to join them i mean i i i had asked a different friend of ours that's not related to the show that was just like hey i'm here several hours before the brewery opens in line in the snow for a brewer for a beer that's coming out does that constitute a problem they went depends on the beer no no problem mm, yeah Interesting. All right. What have you guys been up to? Uh, babying it up. Uh, yeah, nothing really. Brittany was back to work this week. So oh, yeah. oh, Ashley was asking about that. She was like, "When's Brittany back to work? It's been it's been a couple months." Yeah, I we we pretty much like went through like literally week by week, and we're like, "Okay, what bills are coming out this?" Like, I was trying to postpone going back as long as possible. No kidding. Of course, now I'm broke, but. Um, like I don't get an actual paycheck until this coming Thursday. It was kind of nice. Like I, I did, I missed him. You know, um, it was. It's nice that right now our my sister has um, agreed to watch him, as opposed to like because we haven't. We're doing the daycare thing, but it's not going to be until March. Uh, mm-hmm. We're trying to <laughs> hold off as long as possible through flu season 
Um, <laughs> Trying to let that little immune system uh. develop. So, uh, yeah. Um, so she's, and, and she can't get enough of him. So it, it all works out. It just, it, it kind of sucks. Like, I've never been so happy to have a Prius before <laughs> because I have to drive um, 20 minutes to her house to drop him off. And then another 30 minutes back up to go to work. Um, it's like a two-hour round trip. Yeah, so... For you to leave home, get him dropped off, and get to work. But the, the upside is uh, the Costco that is closest to us happens to be near her house. <laughs> and mm. so uh, I, can, Costco I can go there and get gas, yeah, which is always like 20 cents cheaper. I was going to say, the nearest Costco to me also has a Freddy's, which I have sworn to not go to on a regular basis. Because, <laughs> we, yeah, we definitely ruined the you the pants that one. will never fit again. <laughs> because you all ruined me by introducing me to that. Be- like, oh, because here, custard. <laughs> here are steak burgers and custard milkshakes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had Freddy's. We only uh, did recently. Casey. There's one in Lexington. Yeah, Casey, yeah. we're going. It's right Come in Hamburg. Come up here. We're heading right over there. It's in Hamburg by the Costco. I, I had great Culver's this past week, but I never had Freddy's. I'm so, not a fan okay. of Culver's. Yeah, F- Freddy's is better than Culver's. Like, yes, they both have the custard thing going on, but... But the butter burger thing is just a sad joke. Freddy's steak burgers and hot dogs and the fry sauce. <laughs> Their fry mm. sauce is yeah. basically the in and out sauce, only they put it in a giant pump out in the dining yeah, room. Yeah, you, you can just... So you, <laughs> you don't have to wait. Go. There's How no asking. And they you don't have to pump. be pretentious and say, "Oh, animal style, please." Yeah, no, they just they're like, "There's a pump out there. You can do it. Do it to it. You can just put it in a giant, large cup and drink it for all and we care." Their desserts, they're all they're all custard based, but like the the mixings and whatnot, it's almost like a custard version of like a Blizzard from Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. So good! Oh my gosh! The con the concrete. <laughs> the concrete is what it's called. Yeah. The con no drive throughs right. No, they have the drive-thru. Yeah. I oh, mean, they they're yeah. they're just as not fast as Steak and Shake. <laughs> but <laughs> I was going to say, Casey's making a drive. He's going to drive a couple hours just to get drive-thru ice cream and you then know drive me. back. I could, you know I mean, it's warranted. <laughs> the only reason I didn't come down there to the Baba Yaga release today, um, because I had a Reddit conversation with their brewer. So the only reason I didn't come down there is because it was below freezing temperatures and I didn't want to wreck the car before my wife had a baby. And mm-hmm. then we were down to one car while I'm at work and she has to call an ambulance or something. All fair. Yeah. I, yeah. I figure like that's a, a decent reason to not go to lexington to be fair she yeah. can't drive for a couple weeks after she has the baby yeah oh, so Easy if i wreck it after it's cool it's just a matter of uh making sure she can get to the hospital that's the the problem right i forgot about right. that yeah yeah just uh make sure she's aware that she can't really she's kind of there like Listen, that's all she gets to do l- much like you i think she has planned for as long as possible out of work so we've been like putting back every penny oh, listen yeah. my boss asked me this past week he was like why? So I told him I was getting ready to go and have a haircut. He was like, you know, I've been waiting because I thought you were trying to bring the mullet back. <laughs> and I was like, no, my wife just didn't put money into the haircut budget this past paycheck. So I had to wait until she put it into the haircut budget because we're being very conscious about that. So uh, so she's got every penny like mapped out so that she can stay off work for the full 12 weeks of FMLA. Wow. She's got like 8.5 weeks of vacation and sick time saved up. And then, uh, you know, like four weeks of, of, hey, we're just going to have to deal with it on our own type time. I like that FMLA has FML in its initials. Like, it knows. Female. Yeah, it knows. FML, yeah. Hey, uh, I'm taking like six weeks of FMLA, so. Being back to work is weird, but like, 
somewhat nice because when you're around the baby all the time, you know, there's no such thing as a schedule so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially after a couple of months because, like, the whole two to three hour thing is really, that's not a real thing. Uh, he eats when he feels like it, and you lose track of when that happens. So um, <laughs> You wait for the cries. You learn what they mean, and you yeah. know what's going on. Uh, yeah, none, none of the other stuff is real. Um, but whereas at work, I'm like, oh, I can ha- I can make lists and things happen. Things get <laughs> I done on those say, I can plan I can my day hide. not around what's going to happen yeah. and interrupt that. So it's a it's it's a little nice, but I do miss him throughout the day. So, but my sister also keeps sending pictures. Who thought? So finally, the government opens up. Like I'm just happy that the government is opening up. <laughs> um, because the average time to approve a permit. <laughs> For a brewery is 88 days and there isn't a single day counted down whenever the government shut down so if you can get me to the point to where somebody is actually looking at the permit i'm happy with that could it be a reality show where they're like which which approvals are going to go through like what like i've seriously thought about calling up mtv or some other some other network and being like hey listen this is totally turning into a reality show the fact that we've got these little tiny things that come up all the time um, it's like I'm Kim Kardashian or whatever on this side, and uh, there's always these little problems that are like first world problems, but there's such a big deal on this end. Hmm. But anyways, I, I don't know if it's the fact that we're getting ready to have a baby or the fact that yes. there's a lot of other things on the plate. But also, this morning, yes. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 4 a.m., wide awake, because I had a dream that we opened a brewery. And we were serving beer without a license, and the government came in and caught us. The revenue that wasn't that wasn't a dream, Casey. That was a vision. <laughs> that was a vision. The future. Yeah. The I was like, after so you. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep. I was like, do I do I get up and start writing the show now? Like that's literally. <laughs> I got up and was getting ready to write the show, and actually was like, come back to bed. And I was like, fine, all right, whatever. So I laid there and listened to an audiobook. Luckily, I've got audiobooks and uh, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine to uh, help me put me to sleep. Nine-Nine! Cops and Jake Tapper's uh, Bar Rescue. That's basically, get... Brooklyn. That's basically Brooklyn Nine-Nine right there. Very much and... so. It's like the outside of the, the, the actual uh, whatever, the, the place where they go. Like the, yeah. the no, I, I want to say the campus, but it's not the campus. The uh, precinct outside the precinct. Yeah version if you like either one of those shows there is a paramount uh roku app where you can watch both of those shows for (laughs) no charge whatsoever the most recent episodes and you can watch those episodes with only like four or five minutes worth of commercials for the entire 30 minute episode Mm. i love it okay we can do uh our announcements now yes back to the show uh Our, uh, our next episode is going to be Saturday, February 2nd. Uh, I think a few of us are going to actually be in meat space together, which is weird. 9 p.m. Perfect. Eastern, of course. Um, we're going to be covering Brute IPAs. Mm. Uh, totally out of nowhere topic. The uh, um, the new sensation that's sweeping the nation. It's clear IPAs. Uh, so, and then, of course, we have the drinktacular reminder. Uh, mm-hmm. That is going to be fa- Friday, February 22nd to sunday february 24th and uh of course this is in Asheville, north carolina we've been talking about this for a while uh we're doing brewery tours brewery hopping bottle shares the whole nine if you plan on going with us uh or you know meeting us down there email feedback at have a drink show.com to let us know so that we can have an accurate head count yeah and um 
the head count is really only for the tours, which there's like maybe like it's iffy if there's a spot open on those now. The tours are pretty yeah. much booked up. Uh, I don't think we have any spots left, but you are still free. Like you can come join us and hang out for the rest of it. Like you, the tours are all like thirty and forty-five minutes or something like that. Except the New Belgium one, that's kind of lengthy. It reminds me, I still mm. have to contact uh, a particular because we're also going about things. <laughs> yes, and we are going to be doing hopefully a live episode from White Labs. So we're going to go get our yeast on. Which I, hope <laughs> I can be there for that. That's the yeah, two so call. If it's, we were running an office poll, <laughs> my guess on when Ashley would be having her babies is would between be, the 22nd and 24th. <laughs> well, my guess is the 28th of February. No, but 22nd to 24th. We're going to look on the 21st and see how she's doing, if we feel safe, and I may be able to get down there. Yeah, That's because like it's really so close. Early. That's the. Because White it's Labs like, is really cool, the kind of things they do there, where you can get like the same. They ought to do the same beer with like a dozen different yeasts or whatever. Like down, you can just sit there and try. It. It's the exact same recipe. The only thing different is the yeast. So we're yeah, they get doing- like sixteen taps, and you'll have they'll they'll literally do the same exact malt, the same exact hops. Everything is exactly the same, except the yeast that they use to to brew that beer is going to be one of like two or three or four that are kind of similar. So if you do a wheat beer, there'll be like four different wheats, wheat yeast. So you'll have like a, a traditional, the, 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 we're going to call it, we're going to call ourselves the yeasty boys when we're down there, right? (laughs) Hefeweizen versus wheat versus wit are all different. So I think that's kind of like the, the cool differentiation on that one. You can really see exactly what the yeast does for a beer. But yeah, guys, uh, just the tours, the only things I think that are completely solid up. We might be able to squeeze someone in in case people don't show up or someone cancels. But uh, go ahead and come down and hang out with us. I mean, it's it's free to just come down and hang out with us. You pay for your room and your, how you're getting there or whatever. Just come and hang out with us. We'd love to. Right. Everyone comes you, you to can, Beer City, You can USA. join. Yeah. Join Mike D, MCA, and Adrock, the Yeasty Voice. Wow. On that note, uh, movie draft. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to your Movie Draft Minute presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of January 21st, 2019. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay, brought to you by Corduroy Pillows. They're making headlines. Let's go to the scoreboard. <laughs> Team Bond Squad adds $1.6 million from Serenity, giving them last place with $311.4 million. Team Movie Parties in fifth place with $446.1 million. Team Game Night is in fourth place with $478.7 million. Team Ritual Misery is in third place with $493.6 million. Team Drunk Kids Gaming is in second place with $559.2 million. And in first place with $607.1 million, it's Team Have a Drink. That's your movie draft minute, all told. Is right as of January 26, 2019. So, thank it, you, Big Voice Jay. Oh, yes, Jay. Thank you, thank Big you. Voice Jay. Also, that joke took me like a little second longer than it should, and I was like, wait. Uh. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> big, vo- so, big Voice Jay, the big voice in my heart. So, what we were begging uh, to happen last week came to pass. Happened. The Mary Poppins has performed in the long game and has now overtaken. The Mary Poppins. The Mary Poppins. <laughs> this weekend's top five: Glass at forty million, The Upside at fifteen million. That's a big difference. Aquaman at ten, huge drop. Also, Dragon Ball Super Broily. Is Wait, it's a Dragon Ball movie? 
Yeah. Oh, dude, have you not known about like super the whole thing with that and and then doing? I knew there were like more Dragon Ball memes out there, but I didn't know it was Dragon Ball movie. They've got they've got a whole new they've got a whole new series. We're gonna talk after the show. We'll we'll nerd out about this. It's gonna get real nerdy in the post show. Speaking of series, when the my tractor. (laughs) When the f is Ducktales coming back? I don't know. But it's driving me nuts. Like, the last one was the Christmas episode, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, what the crap? <laughs> like, so, I had a decision to make uh, this past week. I was like, oh, I need to go watch... I want to watch a movie. Should I watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, or should I watch Aquaman? And I went, Aquaman's going to give more more money to my competitor. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse will not hurt our lead. Mm-hmm. Watching Spider-Man. So- this coming week is my college's free movie night Mary at Poppins. the Riverfield 10 <laughs> Mary Poppins. in Pikeville, Kentucky. Mary Poppins. You buy out Mary Poppins. The okay, whole... that's the one that I should like totally suggest I should play up and be like, oh my goodness, have you not seen Mary Poppins? It's like... Amazing. The shiznit. You should buy... Also, you should always buy out whole theaters at the Riverfield, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> whole rooms. I mean, it's free movie night. I don't think it 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 does the benefit that you're hoping. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you go and you buy out whole theaters at the Riverville, <laughs> so I can have food, Casey. <laughs> I I you're have other me- your 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 family's dying at this point. I mean, fair enough. So my parents can have food, Casey. They okay, have to I'll pay for it. They have to pay for a dog now. <laughs> a dog. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Mary Poppins. Uh, that because well, all we needed to happen was the declines in ticket sales to be roughly equal between Aquaman and Mary Poppins, and Aquaman just took a steep nosedive, and that was that's great. what happens with those types of movies, though. Because uh, Aquaman saw a twenty six point five percent decrease in ticket sales, Mary Poppins only saw a six point four. Hmm. I mean, it still made. A ton of money. Yeah, but when that, you start at the bottom, we had such a lead. Like again, all we need is for our losses week over week to be less than theirs, and we can win this thing. And that could have been a contender, man. If if drunk me wins this thing, it's gonna oh be the goodness. greatest thing. You're just gonna send me loaded to every movie draft from now on. They Bob, laughed go. at us. I we're just... gonna like, oh. We're 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 going to load you up on the things that I found on Cops the show and <laughs> don't even know what those are. Oh dear! I don't want I don't want meth, Casey. What's clown dust? I don't know, but Bob's taking it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Bob's taking it. Speaking we got clown, movie drafts to win. Speaking of clown dust, uh, we've also got some news. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Couldn't think of a better segue. It was Why there, not, right? It was there. Why not? So, uh, if you caught our recent episode on Buffalo Trace, this is kind of an update or a little, uh, what are they up to now? And it's a good news story here. So, Buffalo Trace has decided to recommission one of those 150-year-old bourbon fermenting vats. Oh, yeah. So, uh, in the world of whiskey, age is one of the most important attributes Of course, one of the biggest headaches for whiskey producers is that aging takes time. So, sadly, you can't create a 100-year-old whiskey without waiting 100 years. But Buffalo Trace has found a different way to travel back in time. The Kentucky Distillery has recently commissioned a fermenter that hadn't been touched in 100 years to help churn out fresh batches of bourbon with a 19th century pedigree. 
We'll go back in time. In 2016, Sorry. the Buffalo Trace Distillery uh, made what it bills as a historic discovery while working on renovations at the distillery's OFC building. The company uncovered the intact hey, fermenting vats originally put in by legendary distiller Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr. Way you back- can't start with Edmund without me immediately going on the Edmund Fitzgerald. Way back Sorry. in 1869. That had been decommissioned and covered with a cement floor. That was because uh, there was a fire and the entire distillery burned down and they rebuilt it in record time. Uh, totally it looks had... like Pompeii inside that. Yeah, that's kind of what they built yeah. it as the Bourbon Pompeii because they they moved over it so quickly that it basically froze <laughs> the fermenting floor in time. Because I, they, they I didn't... promise you, I there was a I person did not there. see Just that. Going in the the like quote underneath the video <laughs> i just looked at it and was like man that looks like pompeii well that's how they all the articles called it the bourbon pompeii and that's... i have to imagine there's like one brewer who who was alive but they just concreted over him and he just like <laughs> putting his hands up frozen like it's one of the pompeii yeah, victims no. flash no, frozen in the it's really cool. that would be great but do you remember the, would it be great have you seen the pompeii masturbation perfect. guy oh yeah yes. Yes, there's a guy yeah, that was probably jerking it at Pompeii. It's, it's less, look, my version's more likely and more like Han Solo. <laughs> gotcha. Like you, you usually only see the like, oh, it's because the, they find the hollowed out spaces where you know bodies had been, and they found the ones like, oh, the couple like embracing each other, and there's one of a dude who was just like, all right, this is the end, and he just like whipped it out and started <laughs> we'll going to town. <laughs> that's that's how I'll go if there's a I mean, giant. Doesn't anyone... Giant uh, a volcano that erupts in Kentucky. Exactly. Doesn't anyone remember uh, mall rats? I mean... <laughs> All right. Uh, Buffalo Trace quickly abandoned its previous plans to turn the building into more meeting and event space and instead followed a new path to restore the site, which they uh, now call Bourbon Pompeii. There's a great video. We got this article from Food & Wine. You can go uh, watch this great video with footage of the area, and it looks really slick. And to see, because they um, they used a lot of a lot of the materials that they were able to reclaim from these old fermentation tanks, and basically you can see what E. H. Taylor Jr. had built, like kind of a, a glimpse into what the old fire copper distillery looked like. Uh, after yeah. years of work, one of the fermenters has been rebuilt in a manner similar to what would it what it would have looked like in the 19th century, and on January 10th. It was filled with mash for what the distillery states is the first time in a hundred years. As a further tribute to the restored fermenter, Buffalo Trace says it plans to use the recommissioned fermenter to produce old-fashioned sour mash similar to how Taylor would have made back when the equipment was first in operation. Meanwhile, don't worry, the distillery will still get its additional meeting and event space. Uh, in the future, Buffalo Trace also plans to use upper levels of the OFC building as event yeah, space, <laughs> as originally planned, offering other unique way to view Sour Mash process, experience discovery, the brand rights. Uh, in the interim, anyone interested in checking out this piece of Kentucky distilling history can see the recommissioned fermenter and the rest of the stuff found under that concrete floor as part of Buffalo Trace's complimentary E.H. Taylor tour. So oh. I hope uh, from the video it doesn't look like they're keeping it the way they had found it because nope. they were initially offering the tours 
that's what the reason it got the name of the Bourbon Pompeii is because that you could go tour it, and it was like when you would go to Pompeii because you can't actually touch anything, you can't even walk on the ground there. So it's all elevated or suspended platforming that you're walking across and looking at everything, and that's what it, like you would go down there, and it was uh, suspended platforming from coming from the ceiling that you were walking on and it was live archaeology happening all around down there so it was exactly like being in Pompeii and Mm -hmm. I think they've now like all the archaeology has ceased and the digs are done and they've started recommissioning these fermenters and I'm pretty sure they'll probably do all of them one by one but they did have uh, small exhibits set up with some of the leftover copper from one of the fermenters like just in the pile that was left after everything had burned and they just had that set up. It was like, hey, here's some of the remains of one of the fermenters from the original OFC distillery. But uh, yeah, any- ah, man, I I really want to run down there sometime <laughs> soon and just check all this out. So the gallonage that's coming out of those is uh, extremely small compared to what Buffalo Trace usually cranks out. So uh, don't expect to ever be able to get your hands on whatever's going to come out of those fermentation tanks. That's all mm, I got to say. Yeah. It's going to cost. <laughs> untold amounts of money. Look, I can't even find regular Buffalo Trace. How am I going to find their special whatever? <laughs> yeah. Can't they just make Buffalo Trace regular out of this place? I mean... Just make more of it so I can have it. I guarantee you this is going to be an ex- obviously an extremely small batch OFC branded. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> I mean, it would be crazy not to brand this OFC, right? Am I the only one who's thinking, no, it's going to be a special, ex- insanely small release that's going to be an OFC? No, no, I think the proper way to, to market this is, yeah, you know me. <laughs> it's the OFC. Yeah, you know me. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I say, before nope. we move on outside of the news you segment, can't, you can't. We're done. Moving on. <laughs> Whenever I went to the bottom of the Food & Wine website. Mm-hmm. I found an article that we didn't cover in the news episode or the regular show that I'm surprised that we didn't. Is it the if your cat vomits, do this every day? No, it's wine <laughs> related, not cat related. Although if we had to have a cat show, uh, it would totally be in there. This winery it, held a 10K 20, run. Oh, I was going to say, is it 25 seller? of the biggest celebrity chef scandals of all time? No, no, no. It's all about this underground wine city that is the world record holder that holds 2 million bottles of wine, but also held a full 10K run in its cellar. All right, then. Maybe next week. Yeah, well, that that's a strong candidate for next week. Are you sure it wasn't the Mary Berry admits she didn't tell whole truth to bad bakers on GBBO? Oh, my gosh, oh. really? Yeah. No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Scandalous. it's Richard Branson has second private island, and yes, you can stay there. I'll, this is going to derail the whole show, but that's up in the top right for me. I don't know if it'd be for are, you guys. Are we, are we playing at the Fire Festival this year? I'm just making <laughs> sure that's okay. I watched that documentary, and it just made me really angry. So, uh, all right. Um, I, I don't know of a segue for this. We're going to the topic. Uh, sweet vermouth rocks with a twist, please. For you, miss? The same. That's my favorite drink. Mine, too. It always makes me think of Rome. The way the sun hits the buildings in the afternoon. No. So no, you're a monster. There's a, rapists? there's a lot of lies in that sentence. There's, they're <laughs> monsters. If you order that, you're a monster. If you order... That said, when I was a bartender, if someone said, can I get sweet vermouth with a twist? I'd go, no. I mean, 
if you want. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, like before this, I was like, who drinks just vermouth like by itself? That has been my biggest problem the entire time with with Groundhog Day. I don't care how he ended up in the loop. That's not important. What's important is that some monster is drinking sweet vermouth with a twist. I say nothing That's else really matters. That's really the uh, out of the ordinary portion here, isn't it? Not the fact that he lives that for 10,000 years. and Nope, the, not important. It's the Fine. Yeah, right. Whatever. Magic. I don't vermouth care. Drinks with a twist. It's, it's a rom-com. I don't care. You can do whatever you want with it, but who drinks vermouth? Like, why Straight. are you drinking that strain? Uh, all right. Anyways. Let's get on to vermouth, though. Uh, can I to- say something before we start? Because I think it, it actually deserves to be at the top. Um we we really found a really good source for this show um, on vermouth, and so I'd like to thank Martin Dowdorf with uh, vermouth101.com for the information they, uh, that he put forward on his site so we could have today's episode. Okay. Awesome. Much grassy well, ass. Hey. Well, to understand vermouth, one must understand the aperitif wines. Well, you say one must become the vermouth? One must become the vermouth. You must take it in to wear it. You must skin the vermouth and wear it like a... <laughs> buffalo you know, Bill? It's, it's, it's getting Buffalo Bill real <laughs> fast. Yeah, well, someone's going to be tucking if we don't get this moving. Well, aperitif derives from the Latin apier, uh, which is the verb to open. In the you sense know, of opening the appetite. I'm having a sweet vermouth Shaken by itself. You're a monster. And it tastes a lot like cherry coke. <laughs> Chicka cherry cola. Ooh, I don't want you. I don't want to drink that bull crap. Ooh, I want to find out. No, I don't want to find out how that tastes. I bet it's terrible. Um, all true aperitifs carry a bittersweet character that simulates the uh, production of gastric juices and promotes the appetite. Stimulates uh, appet- it, eh? Mm, yes. Uh, aperitif wine are aroma, uh, aromatized. That would be a better way to say that. Aromatized wines. Uh, aromatized means that the wine can be infused with botanicals and, that add flavor and color. The aperitif wine category includes all vermouths. Uh, Quinquinas. Uh, Quinquinas. Thank you. I was looking at it going, I'm not even sure where to begin. <laughs> queen, qu- <laughs> yes, queen. Yes, yes. queen. Uh, Quinquinas, uh, Americanos, and a smattering of other uh, proprietary formula for wine products. Uh, Vermouth is also a fortified wine. Uh, they built large walls around the wine to keep out keep, to keep the, out the barbarians. You say to keep the Mongols out. You can't keep the Mongols out, Chris. History has taught us <laughs> that very clearly. Um. Uh, fortified means the alcohol percentage in the wine has been raised through the addition of spirits. Uh, a fairly neutral grape brandy is ideal in most cases. Uh, almost all of these wines have a white wine or mistel base. Mistel. Uh, Sorry. Took a, yep. took, no, no, you're sure fine. I just, yeah. No, I took a swing at it and was hoping I was right. And was just going to keep moving. Which is like mixtel, which is uh, like a Spanish word for um, a mixer type. Tequila or something like that, I think. 
I was really afraid of where that was going to go. Uh, Mistel is uh, the result of adding alcohol to the juice of crushed grapes rather than fermenting it, fermenting them to produce alcohol. Because that just seems like a waste of time. Let's just go ahead and add the booze right in. So, Okay, so you're telling me <laughs> that if I, I go in there and I add straight Everclear to my Welch's grape juice that's still in my refrigerator, that's going to be a vermouth? Or at least a Mistel? some bittering components in there, yeah. It'll taste better. <laughs> Will it? I like grape juice. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I anyway, like Concord grape juice personally, but I—that's what I have. Beef. That's what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, the mis- uh, the Mistel approach yields a sweeter base uh, because the fructose is not converted to alcohol, which may lend to a more fresh fruit characteristic than some other products. Uh, a handful of dark uh, red, dark or opaque. <laughs> Uh, aperitif wines uh, achieve their coloration through other ingredients rather than their wine itself, namely caramel color. Geographically, the cradle of vermouth is ethnically Italian uh, Piemonte uh, and ethnically uh, French Savoy regions, uh, which in the 18th century comprised the mainland territory of the Kingdom of Sardinia. Uh, Interesting fact, Italy did not exist as a country until, I believe, about, like, 1847. All right. I believe that's about right. It's somewhere in that region where they all went, all right, we have enough. Really? That late? Yeah, no, they're actually just before Germany became a whole united country. Germany was in the 1880, 1890 region. Italy wow. was bogged down 1846. with all- all is the Republic of Italy, and then states. 1861 is the actual unification of Italy. Yeah, the city states wow. were just like they kept all the like from... principalities and city states, and so yeah. even though they've got this history, it's not necessarily a country until that point. They did they they did not all identify together as Italians. They all which uh, you come down to like you've got. Uh, Sicily and Italy that are kind of a little bit separate in that point. Mm. But then you've also got um, countries later on in the, the, the process like the Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia, which didn't even that kind of okay. Czechoslovakia is entirely made up by uh, uh, England and other countries uh, after World War Two. Right. So like even Europe was t- kind of being div- divvied up in 60, 70 years ago? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that we were, you know, they were from World War One. they're like, oh, yeah, you should all self-identify as countries. But at the same time, we're telling you who you're going to be. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, history is weird. Uh, anyway, the... Uh, the, by 1861, the Kingdom of Sardinia had gobbled up the rest of the peninsula to create what we now know as Italy, losing the Savoy region permanently to France by treaty. Now, let uh, me say, there is, a, there is a long history of France trying to get that area from Italy, by the way. It's basically Louis XIV's reign. Yeah. Camel color is something that has plagued me a little bit whenever I look at food that i eat or drinks that i drink caramel cor- color for the most part basically means whether it's artificial or w- mostly natural caramel color there's a lot of breweries distilleries uh, bourbon manufacturers that hate on caramel color 
if you look at caramel color, it's basically just sugar that you've burnt and then you add it back to something else. And that's the art, like the artificial caramel coloration. Uh, well, let me rephrase. It's not artificial. It's natural caramel color, but people hate on caramel color, but it's just burnt sugar. Yeah. That's all it is. Yep. Which is delicious. Tasty, tasty burnt sugar. All I can think of now is when the molasses factory exploded in Boston. (laughs) And people died, Bob. People People did die. People died. They should have gotten out of the way. It moved very slowly. (laughs) They had time to It was like that scene in Austin Powers when the guy's standing in front of the... And the, the, move, the, 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 move. <laughs> this is my house. I'm not moving. No. It's not like the beer wave that killed like 30 people. I mean, I can understand that. You're grabbing a you're grabbing a cup and running into the streets. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was what happened in that incident. They're like, "There's molasses. Get your toast, boys." We're, we're <laughs> the closest thing we're getting to jam this year. Go. <laughs> No, it's taken me. It's gotten my foot. I can't get out. Uh, Anyway, aperitif wines in this area evolved uh, two imperatives, the flavoring of local wines to make them more commercially uh, valuable and the ancient trade in folk medicines and tonics, snake oil. Mm. These wines are are delicious and packed with, quote, medicinal uh, botanicals now enjoyed in... uh, Medicinal botanicals now enjoyed in their favorite flavors of uh, appetite-enhancing effects rather than as cures. Because, look, for most of the early 20th, uh, late 19th and early 20th century, curing things was not the point of making medicine. No. Getting getting cocaine into your system, that was the point of making medicine. Um... Large-scale commercial aperitif productions emerged in the mid-1800s with a focus on craft and consistency and an eye towards export markets. Uh, The major points in Marseille, uh, Genoa, and Venice played key roles in the importation of... uh, uh, Key roles in the importation of botanicals like the spice trade uh, and the export of products to new markets, especially the Americas. Traditionally, these products were named for entrepreneurs that created them today. Today, Several of these names uh, are amongst the greatest brands in the history of spirits. Aperitif wines are relatively low in alcohol content when compared to spirits, but in a higher than uh, straight wine. Aperitif wines uh, are also comparable strength-wise to non-aperitif fortified wines like Port, uh, Moderna, or sherry. Uh, mm-hmm. Other fortified wines, uh, like, also, oh, sorry, rephrase that. Also, like other fortified wines, aperitif wines are typically enjoyed in smaller servings than straight wine. Oh, come on. You mean I can't get that, like, what was it, like, four gallon glass from Costco to, <laughs> to drink yeah. my aperitif? Uh, no, no, you can't. All right. Uh, the Vatican- you can't get that. You can't get that four foot tall wine glass. To- oh yeah. Look, I'm saying if someone brings that thing to drink tacular, I will fill it up and I will drain it. <laughs> it's gonna be like this ridiculous. All right, you're starting to drink from the top. I'm just. Dri- I have a, a a Dewalt drill just burrowing out the bottom, going no no no, get that to me. <laughs> All right, the vast majority of aperitif wines are reasonably priced, uh, $10 to $25 for a 750 milliliter. 
In liquor stores, aperitif wines are typically found on shelves near sherries and ports, although this is not always the case. Unfortunately, these days, even the best liquor stores are unlikely to have more than a haphazard assortment of aperitif wines and are even less likely to have anyone on staff that actually knows anything useful or correct about these products. So, oddly enough, when I went to go try to find uh, a vermouth for this episode, I, I, I broke my usual rule, and I had to ask someone at the liquor store going, okay, please show me where your vermouth is. I need to find this, and I have no earthly idea where to start. It's because no, you oh. said vermouth. If you had gone up and asked, where are your aperitif wines? They would have scratched their head and been like, oh. That's true, probably. A key point to keep in mind uh, when shopping, there is no such thing as the best amongst these or any other liqueurs. Uh, we are blessed with a wealth of fine products with individual characters, and that diversity should be celebrated. And that is to say that for everything like you say that all i can think of though is all that exists is uh martini uh is it martini and rosie or martin and rosie or martini and rosie which yeah. is the two vermouths that i have on hand <laughs> right now i don't know what you're talking about casey you both don't have no. the exact same thing no <laughs> there's very few options out there when it comes to martinis <laughs> There is. So the word vermouth uh, derives from wormwood. Where have we heard wormwood before? In that. Like, <laughs> sorry, I about went on my my uh, uh, absinthe is not hallucinogenic tirade. Sorry. Okay. Keep that. Let Let me say this. I I, I know that I wrote the show, <laughs> but whenever I say wrote the show, put it in quotes because I took the show from vermouth101.com or dot. Yeah.com. He put a gun to their back and said, give me the show. They're, they were the best source that was out there. Um, they had the most complete information. They had um, some of the best uh, kind of background on vermouth. But then they also had a Creative Commons license. So I was like, oh, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> um, that last paragraph that you read, Chris, sounds an awful lot like a an advertisement. Yep. And oh, there's no best martini uh, be vermouth out there. There's no best vermouth out there. And so that's the one caveat I do want to put out there is that it really sounds like whoever wrote vermouth101.com may have been paid to write vermouth101.com. It's entirely possible. They, Just putting that out they there. Probably and, had a sponsor. It is what it is. All right. Uh, well, the word vermouth derives from wormwood, which we've heard about before in our absinthe episode, and is inherited from earlier Hungarian and German wormwood-infused wines of the same name. At least since the early 19th century, what we mean by vermouth is refinement, incorporating the most desirable elements of both of these older wines and various other traditions. A moderately sweet, herbaceous, I like that word, herbaceous, compound, or compounded <laughs> beverage, what? Nothing. <laughs> compounded beverage. You can, uh, you can like that herbaceous word all you want. Oh. I have no complaints with that. Sexy. It's a lot sexier <laughs> than moist. Wormwood remains vermouth's starting point. Uh, it's principle defining botanical. Commercialization began in the late 18th century in 
Torino, Italy. In ensuing years, other interpretations of the idea emerged in uh, Chambre or Savoy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Man, I don't know. Why not, right? Or Lyon and Spain in the United States. I do know the last one, Spain, not Spain. Spain. Espanol. Espana. In the United States, vermouth imported from Italy became widely popular beginning in the 1870s. And ever since, the Italian vermouth has been strongly associated with the Manhattan cocktail. Wonder if anyone's drinking one of those tonight. By contrast, Europeans commonly sip this aperitif neat or over a little ice. So me trying to be a jackass tonight, if I that was my idea to do that, it actually would have been <laughs> kind of accurate. Uh, The dry style that emerged first in France achieved similar popularity in the U.S. almost concurrently, eventually becoming strongly associated with the martini cocktail. Dry vermouth, especially that in uh, the Marseille style, also has a... I like to say things with an accent when I can't pronounce it, so there you go. Also has a strong tradition in the regional kitchen as a cooking ingredient, and it makes a particularly nice alternative to white wine in pan sauces. That is a good I mean, idea. If you're doing a reduction kind of thing, it's pretty yeah. much already reduced. Yeah, I like to... I mean, you've got herbs in this. Herbs with an E-R herbs. instead of an H. Herbs. Right? It has an H in it. <laughs> We've watched so, a lot of British stuff lately, okay? Instead of having to like combine all these other herbs with an E... Uh, you just add some vermouth to your dish and that adds some bitterness to it. It adds a little bit of herbaceousness. It adds a lot of other notes to it that you wouldn't get any other way. So instead of just acidity, which you get in white wine or red wine or uh, some fruitiness that you get in either one, you get some backbone to it. And so vermouth is a really good cooking ingredient. I like that. I like that the fact that you can, you can just add vermouth and, like cut three parts out of your entire recipe. <laughs> it's kind of a nice way to to do it. You've got sweetness, you've got herbaceousness, and you've got acidity. That's what you really need. So now, whenever you go to someone's kitchen, you see a bottle of vermouth randomly uh, around around the stove. They just know what's up. And now you know when you see that you're like, hey, you know the shortcuts. So right. these. These same regions have historically produced other styles of vermouth in the past, not all of which have achieved international success. Two examples that have both from Torino are vermouth a la Veniglia, or vermouth with vanilla, and vermouth con bitter, vermouth with extra with bitters. Bitterness, yep. Uh, vermouth, uh, chinato? Chinato, Chinato. Yeah. Vermouth with added quinine is making a 21st century comeback because you know you got to take your malaria medication. Uh, <laughs> Let, let's let's take a break there because we <laughs> will talk a little bit about um, a an additive that's in vermouth later on. Um, there is uh, chinchona or uh, chincona bark that actually is a quinine agent. And so that's what it's really talking about is the quinine that's in that chinchona bark. Quinine, not... That's what we also get with taurine, right? (laughs) 
Um, well, you, you could if you mixed your Red Bull with a little bit of tonic water. Yeah. Right, I know. But when I hear quinine, all I can think of is, like, I mean, that, that automatically goes with taurine, right? And <laughs> Your malaria medication. All right. Uh, so Blanc, or white, vermouth is a late 19th century innovation from Chambere. I don't know how to say it. Chambery. Chambery. Chambery Lane. Bianco Vermouth is uh, the bolder Italian riff on white vermouth that roughly dates to the turn of the 20th century, but remained obscure until achieving abrupt and massive popularity in the 21st century, Eastern Europe. Because everything from Eastern Europe is just a smash hit. It's it's massively popular over there. Putin (laughs) says so. Even in Poland. A footnote, but one of the growing significance in the marketplace is Spanish vermouth. From the late 19th century on, Spanish producers mostly concentrated around race in Catalina. You know, the wine mix. You know, I'm not a huge vermouth drinker, but the idea of Spanish vermouth actually kind of... It, it's romantic to some extent, but I, I really like the idea because it's totally removed from the the side of Italy and 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 kind of central Europe and you pull it over to Spain if you have portuguese it just, vermouth i it, i think it, i would just blow my load in my jeans right there it, it just seems Whoa. sexy casey going to i wish we had the sounder for from lonely island you could hit there and just jizz in my in pants. my puns oh i was going to go with i just had sex but, like, you pull it that far away. I, I don't even know how many kilometers that is, but it's probably, like, 600, 700 miles, right? More than that. And and you pull it that far away from where it really originated. Spain's got... You look at vermouth, it's got all this bitterness, it's got all this balance of the sweetness and the, the, the wine aspect of it, and then you've got the, the bitterness that kind of comes in and, and balances all that. And you, you think about food balance with wine and vermouth coming in there with that herbaceousness, I don't know, just that far away kind of like, I, I just know. I just think as you were saying, describing that, all I'm picturing is uh, uh, Chris Catan, which may show my age. On SNL, of going like Antonio Banderas. It's too sexy, too sexy. No, exactly. Spanish vermouth is too sexy. So, from Italy to Catalonia is 1,431 kilometers or Mm. 13 and a half hours in a car. So, So how many miles is that? No idea. 13K. Could, so could, 120, could, 120, it could very well be a billion. We don't know. <laughs> we don't. We never accepted the metric system. 100k is 60 miles. So 100k is six four, to one, six to ten, 400,000 miles. I don't know, man. It's I like 500. I'm good. I'm close. 500 miles. Would you walk 500 miles? I would walk 500 miles. Would you walk 500 more? Just to be the man. Is this like the the earworm hour? Yep. Like I've gone from. (laughs) We started the evening with Africa in our head. Africa, and then shake it off, and then like it just just keeps going. Uh, Look, after the show, it's going to be just me sitting Brittany videos of uh, 
Oh, what are they called? I know their names. The the the. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All right, keep going. At a certain point, <laughs> you're going to hear me shout it out very loudly. Often from Just... Italian migrant lineage, uh, have been making their vermouth in uh, relatively obscurity. Restrained... The reclaimers. There you go. Restrained How by war. Reclaimers. They've been restrained by war and dictatorship. Their vermouths uh, largely mm. comparable to sweet red Italian vermouth. Uh, tend to have less alpine and more Mediterranean character. See, when Casey mentions the sexy Spaniards, you all, everyone always forgets the Spanish Civil War. I'll bring it back. Oh. The Spanish Civil War. <laughs> Civil War back. Casey's bringing Francisco Franco back, guys. Hey, oh, it's not going to be good Francisco times. Francisco back. Not not good times. No. Uh, today, almost all traditional vermouth producers uh, manufacture some form of red or dry vermouths, and many also produce white vermouth. Uh, Me too. Products have a long history in this market. It is generally fair to say that French producers are more esteemed for their lighter, dry vermouths, and Italian producers are more esteemed for their red, spicy, Torino-inspired vermouths. But all commercial vermouths are uh, propriety formulas, and it is their unique botanicals and flavor profiles that distinguish them. Some may be bitter, some lesser, although... uh, even those often judged amongst the best may not be best in all circumstances. It is particularly important to not fall into the trap of comparing vermouths to some uh, platonic idea. It's no more reasonable to expect all vermouths of one style to taste the same than it is to expect all bourbons or gins to taste the same. Celebrate the diversity of choice and let your own taste be your guide. Let your taste be be your guide. <laughs> Just so. I will, and not have vermouth. <laughs> <laughs> that is his taste. <laughs> All right. Uh, non-traditional vermouth. Uh, so far, we've been talking about traditional vermouth. European products with alpine roots and their imitators. Various new contemporary non-traditional styles can also be found in some markets, though. So, what some call Western Dry, a de facto style begun in California in the late 1990s, is already fairly well established. There are small production aperitif wines labeled as vermouth, but which, in most cases, are otherwise unrecognizable as such. These (laughs) products tend to be wine-forward and feature drastically divergent botanical components. Uh, the resurgent market is also producing other novel, non-traditional ideas. Some represent contemporary innovation from traditional b- vermouth producers. Others, such as the new vermouth out of uh, Jerez, uh, based on sherry, are crossover forays comparable to the Western Dry phenomenon. Most of these are just beginning to test the markets in the t- 2010s. 2010s, that's a, an era there. Uh, there are an- almost out of. I know. We, we like, went to like, high school what? in twenty ten. Oh no, we didn't. Go no, we did not. We, we get the, the twenty aughts. Yeah, it's, oh. it's weird to think about. Yeah, like, I'm like, wait, the t- oh god, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. there are a number. So of- sad, right? Yes. <laughs> Jerez or uh, Jerez or Jerez is in Europe. So X E Jason Merez. Weird. Oh, I don't know what that what that means. Oh, I'm not. I would never know. 
Uh, there are a number of venerable aperitif wines that aren't vermouths, but have much in common with vermouth. One group of these wines is known as quinquina. Oh, it tells you. Quin, quin, yeah, okay. Look at me, I guess. Quinceanera. Quinquina. Right. <laughs> quinquina. Uh, because historically, these wines feature, or at least include, Peruvian cincona bark. I'm like trying to read how to just, how to, okay. We're just going to move on. Uh, <laughs> Bark is the, it's the primary source of the quinine stuff. Uh, so quinine became the wonder drug of the 18th century when colonizing Europeans realized that it was beneficial in warding off malaria. And for a while, Europeans <laughs> were adding quinine to anything and everything. Because, and, you know, if you're going to go conquer a country, you don't want the diseases there to be the ones that conquer you back. Indeed. Well... I mean, in order to truly conquer a country, you need a flag. <laughs> so around the world, put, those. A flag so around the world, you know what, put a flag Bob? in. Flag he don't need his flag no more. Oh, jeez. Uh, a major market for uh, Kinkina was France's protracted campaign in Algeria, which held large numbers of French troops and administrators in tropical peril. Some quinquina was specific uh, oh, wow. specifically produced with the French Foreign Legion in mind. That wasn't even a complicated word, Brittany. Are you wasted? Uh, I just had a whole thing of KBS. Uh, Americano. Oh! <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's rewind. <laughs> I know we got some more story to go in, in, in the episode, but a whole thing of KBS, huh? Just the whole bottle. I mean. How was it? You know, just, just the whole bottle. It's fine. What ifs? It's not a yeah. bomber. I mean, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> it's 12 ounces of chocolate coffee joy. Yes. Uh, Americano refers to the word uh, amer, which is bitter. Um, amer. Amer. Okay. You never know. Okay. How, how, oh, no, no, no. I totally understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's just a matter. So America, bigger land. Ha. <laughs> That's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> so uh, where uh, Kinkina's defining flavor is quinine, Americano's is both uh, gentian and wormwood. Uh, historian Francois Monti uh, hypothesizes that Americano, which seems to have emerged in the 1890s, may be a commercial elaboration on vermouth con bitter or vermouth with, with added gentian. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, a Turinese cafe tradition documented by Arnaldo Strucci. That's a great name, Arnaldo. Uh, traditional vermouth, quinquina, and Americano all draw from much the same pool of botanicals, and their classification or style is a question of the intent behind the pro proprietary formulation. Both quinquina and Americano can come in various colors, such as deep red, straw, or even clear, colorless. Uh, almost all are based on white wine, um, mistel. Trying uh, real hard not to start shouting white, white wine. <laughs> uh, although one notable exception is burr. It's B-Y-R-R-H. Which, I mean, in, in Spanish, that's very close to um, <sighs> donkey. Oh, so, oh, like the burro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh, okay. Uh, but so that's, that's based on red wine mistel. We're, we're, we're going to say mistel for now. Uh, in addition to wormwood and um, quinchona, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 
bark. Uh, these drinks can contain a large number of herbs, roots, barks, seeds, and spices, including angelica, cardamom, chamomile, cinnamon, citrus peel, clove, coriander, Egyptian cornflower, elderflower, gentian, ginger, lavender, licorice root, mace, marjoram, nutmeg, raspberry, red sandalwood, rose, saffron, St. John's wort, star anise, vanilla, veronica, and violet. Wow. That's I'm sorry if that went on for a while. <laughs> I thought it was important to list all the herbs that could go into a vermouth. That's very specific, yes. But, but <laughs> I took out like half of them. So there's another 50% that wasn't listed that could be in that list. Wow. And most of the ones that weren't listed were ones that you've never heard of before. By the way, right. new shirt idea. Just a picture of me and a spinning wheel above me that just has raspberry beret, <laughs> the ladders, or uh, what's another obvious joke that I always make? Red, red wine. Red, red wine. It's like, wheel of Bob, which which one's you going to land on? Hmm. I heard raspberry. I'm like, just keep it together. You need to message that to me so I don't forget that. Because <laughs> I can definitely so, work on that. First off, well, not first off, but uh next off raspberry as a vermouth flavoring i feel like that would also, be better than the actual vermouth flavoring well probably why is raspberries included as a spice i'm just mm, no, no, no. i see raspberry roots barks seeds or spices but it's herbs, not, it's, fruits, barks, seeds, or spices. but it's none of those it, it is neither seed. herb root Oh, like you're just using the seeds from raspberries? You monsters. Raspberry seed. It's what gets in your teeth. It's Ugh. what plants crave. <laughs> All right. To um, be perfectly honest, I was the one that wrote herbs, roots, bark, seeds, or spices. Oh, okay. Because so I didn't think so you of just raspberries the one as thing. fruit. Yeah. That's that other segment on the Wheel of Bob. Is the, it's, I'm going to put it in there. What it's blank, what plants crave. <laughs> it's, what, it's what plants crave, yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, several wine grapes, including... Uh, Claret Blanc? Blanche. Pick Frankly, it. my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> Wait, no, wrong movie. <laughs> yeah, Stella! I was going to say. Uh, this next one, Peek Pool? Peek Pool? No idea. Uh, I don't have a movie I can make a joke. What do you say to your baby now? <laughs> oh. I was going to say, I don't have a movie I can make a joke about this one. I'm sorry. Uh, Bianchetta Trevigiana? Treviana. Trevi, not going to work here anymore. So, uh, also on the wheel of Trebiana, the same name as Joey. Joey. Oh, no. Joey's Trebiana. Trebiani. But, yeah. uh, but okay. uh, in Friends. Very close, though. Nice, nice. Okay, that's good to know. Bathroom phones, um, we all need them. <laughs> Catarato and, uh, okay, Trebiano, which is similar to Trebiani. Okay. Yes. Generally uses. What's lasagna now? Right? Oh, uh, <laughs> generally uses the base ingredients for vermouth. Uh, from these grapes, a low-alcohol white wine is produced by vermouth manufacturers. The wine may be aged for a short while before the addition of other ingredients. For sweet vermouth... So, sorry. let's say this. All vermouth basically starts as white wine. Hmm. Yeah, which I, I wouldn't think of because when I think of, red, uh, of of sweet vermouth, it's always red to me. Red, right. Red hmm. vermouth is sweet. Now, and, now and dry vermouth is always, white. always like white, but okay. I assumed it had more to do with like the kind of wine they were fortifying, but apparently I'm wrong because I'm dumb. Well, you're wrong. It does mean you're dumb. 
I was waiting for, well, you're dumb. You're also <laughs> Doesn't wrong. Doesn't mean you're but... wrong, right? <laughs> Go either way. Um, uh, the wine may be aged for a short while because, or before the addition of other ingredients. For sweet vermouths, sugar syrup is added before the wine is fortified with extra alcohol. Um, the added alcohol is usually a neutral grape spirit, but may also come from vegetal sources such as sugar beets. Uh, the wine is then placed. I've never thought about for about distilling down beets, right? fermenting them and distilling them to turn them into. No. I mean, it's no sugar cane from like South America, right? Well, yeah. I'm also now thinking of Doug, the Nicktoon. The beets. <laughs> the beets. We got uh, the beets. We got, got the beets. Uh, okay, let's move on. Right. We got the beets. <laughs> um. <laughs> The wine is then placed in large barrels or tanks to which the dry ingredients have already been added. The mixture is stirred at intervals until the dry ingredients have been absorbed and the drink is ready for bottling. Caramel color is added to make red vermouths. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Most vermouths are bottled at between 16 and 18% ABV. I like the fact that the herbs are added to the barrel before the vermouth or before the wine is added to the barrel. Yeah. That's a got to filter it over them so they make sure they get every right. last nook and cranny. Like of everything those. about this is just like a different process than we're used to basically. Yeah. Um the pro prohibition of wormwood as a drink ingredient in the early 20th century in some countries sharply reduced its use in vermouth. You don't say. Uh, mm. But small amounts of the herb are still sometimes included in artisan products. Uh, I was a bit much like artisanal vermouth. Uh, <laughs> Artesian? I got called out by a professor in, in college. Um, he called me out because I wanted to call a company uh, artesian, art, uh, sorry, artesianal foods. And he was like, artesian means that it's a well from Italy. Oh. And I was like, you asshole, shut the F up, <laughs> move away. This is in Eastern Kentucky. We're going to start this company with or without you. I for sale. I am pretty sure I can picture this professor you're talking about right now. Probably so. But he was very artesian wells are. Mm. Mm. I'm going to have my martini. And <laughs> no, you're not. You that just, thing is brown. You just need to be like millennial and then walk right away. Right, <laughs> great, Casey. I gave you the proper recipe for for a martini in the intro. That sir is not a martini. <laughs> it's not. I agree. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> uh, vermouth brand recipes vary, hmm? um, with most manufacturers <laughs> marketing their own unique flavor and version of the beverage. Vermouth manufacturers keep their recipes for the drink secret. Uh, sweet vermouths usually contain 10 to 15% sugar. The sugar content in dry vermouths generally does not exceed 4%. Dry <laughs> vermouths usually are lighter in body than sweet vermouths. Um, I already forgot how to say the other word. Kinkinas? Kin yep. Yeah. Uh, and Americanos serve a similar function to vermouths. They are excellent aperitifs on their own, and they make fine components of mixed drinks. You will find that vermouths, quinquinas, and American Americanas are often sold in different, quote, colors under the same brand. The color ostensibly... Man, why is that just... I don't know why, but I was like, man, that sounds racist. 
<laughs> the the Quote, racist for colors. Uh, the color ostensibly refers Quote, to the colored heat. liquors. <laughs> no, there it is. Oh, that hurts. Uh, the it's color ostensibly refers to the hue of the liquor itself, which in vermouth is most commonly reddish brown, colorless white, or straw colored. Although other possibilities exist, such as rosé, because there's always a rosé. Uh, Where there's a will, there's a rosé. Yeah. Oh. Uh, the name, <laughs> of- sir. That was a good call. Yeah. I was waiting for like, really? That's the one that makes you go, God, that's terrible. How did? How? Why did you do this? That should be a shirt too. Uh, <laughs> there's a will, there's a rosé. Yeah. It should be. Let's put it on the uh, the store tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, the name and labeling of these products is not always straightforward. Originally, vermouth brands were established around a singular product and color was not really a major marketing factor. Some vermouth may have been tinted with black walnut. Okay. The worst of walnuts. <laughs> or simply... Any walnut is fine with me. <laughs> or simply by the botanicals employed in aromatizing them. Aromatizing? aromatizing? Aromatizing. Aromatizing. But I like... I'm Aromatiz- like aromatizing. aromatizing. It sounds like a pretty good word. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I've, I've never like really encountered that word before, honestly. Uh, <laughs> caramel color may have been employed here or there for color consistency across bottlings, uh, but color was not otherwise much discussed. Hmm. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> oh, no, I went a different way. I went Hamilton. Like, meanwhile. Sorry, the, the different, the different. If you know the room where it happens, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> As the market matured, those brands that sought, sought to distinguish themselves innovated. In Savoy and Marseille, new commercial vermouth surfaced. Nope. Surfaced. Surfaced. <laughs> surfaced, I like better than the yeah, All of Marseille. Us, all of us are doing so Marseille well today. <laughs> I got to like line two and we were done there. <laughs> Uh, a surface that had significantly different flavor profiles from those in Turin back in Italy. The export market exploded abroad in the mid-19th century, particularly to the United States and South America. And so the notion of Italian vermouth, quote-unquote, and French vermouth, quote-unquote, arose, with each dominated by a runway, or a runaway, if you will, market leader, Martini Irasi. As we see here. Mm-hmm. And Noeli, Noe, uh, Noe Prat. So uh, let me step back for a second from what's on the what's on yeah. the, the dock here. Noeli or N-O-I-L-L-Y Pratt or P-R-A-T um, tends to be the one that most of the uh, hoity-toity blogs kind of recommend whenever they're looking at vermouths out there. Martini and Rossi is the one that I always see. Martini and Rossi is the one that's 10 bucks. Every single liquor store you go into, it's going to have it. It's going to be that or Gallo. Gallo is going to be five bucks. Martini and Rossi is going to be 10 bucks. And that's kind of the way it goes. So none of these products were labeled as Italian vermouth or French vermouth, but the Italian and French origin was the second most obvious things about them in the brand name. Uh, the French vermouths were typically drier particularly those from Noily, if you will, or Noyi. I don't know how to say that in, in French. Uh, Noily going to work but. here anymore. 
which was distinctly oxidized. So you got a little bit more oxygen note in those uh, wines. And the dry noily was characteristic See, with that French style. Think, oxidized does not say to me oxygen note. It says to me rust. Well, you've got rust. You've got a little bit more. So oxidation. In I understand. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying yeah. what my brain immediately goes to. Absolutely. Uh, you bring a little bit of oxidation in there. It brings a little bit of sweetness in there. It brings a little bit of that uh, doiled, uh, sorry, doled down flavor. Um, that's kind of what I'm used to in oxidation, at least. So um, you've got that noily with the French style character. Um, historian Francois Monti has shown that as early as 1860, terminology like vermouth sec, which is sweet, Crops up in literature, but in practical usage, it was just French vermouth. In remote Chambéry, their less known vermouth wasn't oxidized by uh, the same terms as Nolet. It wasn't necessarily as dry. Around 1881, producer Comez coined the term Blanc vermouth or white vermouth and uh, and color became a marketing factor coincidentally chambray filtered distinctly alpine vermouth gradually uh, it became a better distributed and grew influential in the 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 terminology in the inspiring nature of producers such as martini and rossi they developed their own white vermouth bianco by 1910 uh, sorry, just Bianco. Like, I guess it's an okay name. I feel like they could have done better. They needed to dig or, dig deeper. That's the way they go. By the earliest twenty, by the earliest, by the <laughs> early twentieth century, producers uh, were leveraging earliest. The earliest. It, it's the earliest with a lisp. Um, producers were leveraging their brands across diverse vermouth products. Vermonti. Uh, has shown that around World War One, Italian producers began increasing the caramel coloring of their vermouth di Torini or Torino, uh, and labeling it Rosso. So basically, a movie white with, vermouth. Wait, isn't Vermouth di Torino a, uh, a, a Clint Eastwood movie? Uh, the Grand Torino is, but oh. Vermouth de Torino or di Torino is basically the Vermouth of Torino, which is a an, uh, a city in Europe. Is it great? Uh, maybe. <laughs> it could be. I don't know. We don't know. Torino is an Italian city, at least. I can give you that. All right. <laughs> Coloration wound up the newest method of product differentiation. Isn't that the way things go? Color is the way we define products. And de facto nomenclature emerged. Most, not all, vermouth today is labeled with one of these terms. A few manufacturers reject this color-based classification, like they should, and either employ their own naming scheme or at least helpfully slap the same label on all their products and leave it up to the buyer to make it uh, what they want to be. So, okay, this is reminding me, uh, not specifically because we had gotten into like dry and sweet necessarily in this, but do you remember uh, one of the bachelor parties we threw for you guys? I think it was yours, Casey, because we had a suite. Cool. Yes, and, we did have a suite. And that was nice. It was we, the presidential suite, and it was the most amazing thing in the world. Just saying, move along. It, no, it's fine. Uh, but we had, uh, we were trying to make Manhattan's, 
but we did not have sweet vermouth. We had dry vermouth. You remember what we ended up trying to do and the terrible abomination that, that we made? You know, I don't remember, Bob, but <laughs> I'm going to guess that we took the sugar from the coffee-making packets and mm-hmm. added it to the vermouth. That's just what I'm thinking. We poured it straight into the drink to try to sweeten it up. <laughs> you know, most hotel rooms have a few things. They have free shampoo, they have free soap, and they have free coffee. Ugh. It was it was honestly a nightmare from which I may never wake up from. <laughs> That's how it goes. Well, <sighs> Bob, unfortunately, the color of vermouth doesn't necessarily mean a great deal. Uh, as we discovered in that hotel room in downtown Cincinnati, across from that statue that kind of is is like the... Uh, the oh, my goodness. What's the, the name of the statue that shoots blood out of its palms? Stick. Well, the stigmata. concept. Stigmata the statue is you... in downtown Cincinnati that has a stigmata of water out of, it palm, out of its palms. Wow, this took a weird turn. It did. <laughs> so, unfortunately, the color of the vermouth doesn't mean a whole lot, though. <laughs> a red vermouth indicates a brand's entirety. Just keep going. Okay. It enters into the vermouth market segment of red vermouth. And while that sets a certain expectation of terms of flavor and performance, it doesn't guarantee that the product has a great similarity to the original vermouth de Torino style. That sweet vermouth style. All you can really presume is that the reddish brown is probably on the sweet side. That's about all it gets. And probably has different botanical emphasis from whatever the same breads reds uh, possess. I wrote something here, but I'm just going to go off the cuff. Sorry, Brittany. I know you're you're probably like biting your nails at this point, figuring out is Casey going to follow the script or not. Nope. White vermouth, dry. Red vermouth, sweet. That's all you (laughs) need to know. Sorry, I was waiting for you to say red vermouth, wet. Moving on. It's that easy. So anyways, okay. <laughs> if you want to look at serving aperitif wines like vermouth or any other, you know, aperitif type wine out there, um, you could serve them directly from the bottle. In Europe, they are primarily thought of as a standalone drink. They are served usually as a two to three ounce pour, neat, chilled, or even over ice. In the United States, however, vermouth and Quinquinas are primarily served as mixed drinks. We recommend you enthusiastically explore both approaches. So basically, drink a lot. Hey, it's going to be fun. When Man, you... <laughs> that seems like a terrible tagline for our show. You know, it's uh, it, it's totally the vermouth101.com's tagline right there. Yeah. When using wines like vermouth, you should, first off, number one, drink these wines neat chilled and in mixed drinks you got multiple ways to do it why not right just do it a bunch of different ways just don't drink them straight with a twist i mean you could if you wanted to no you can't it's that's, terrible that's and you're a bad person <laughs> you could store these wines in bottles that are refrigerated which is what you probably should do you should probably keep these wines away from heat and light because they oxidize quite quickly. And you should buy small bottles because if you buy a big bottle and let it sit around the house like what I'm doing right now on the floor, right on top of the heat vent, they're going to turn bad very quickly. Now, 
what you should not do is you should not serve old stale or uh, they've been around for a while aperitif wines like vermouth. And you should not leave speed pours in vermouth or quinquinas because that allows a lot of oxygen into the bottle itself over time. Use a little pump uh, devices, whatever they are. You, you, you basically put a cork in the wine and you pump it until you get all the air out. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, as with other wines, aperitif wines oxidize once they're open. Now, I will say this. Aperitif wines will kind of keep a little bit longer than other wines out there. So if you go and pour off a little bit of uh, vermouth, it's not the same as pouring off a little bit of red wine. If you want to do a vermouth, you could probably get two weeks out of a vermouth where you could probably get like three or four days out of a red wine. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to toss that wine after like two days. Yeah, exactly. So the longevity of aperitif wines may be extended by using a wine pump just by using uh, the same thing as using a, uh, a basic wine pump for any other wine. You can kind of extend their their life. Aperitif wines do not tend to sell in high volumes, though. So keep this in mind when you're going and shopping in the U.S. Um, there's some risk when buying bottles that have been sitting around on the shelves for a little while. You want to make sure that they don't have some dust on the bottle. Uh, as much as, um, oh, who's the country singer? Come on now. Garth Brooks or in here's the, not key. sure where you're going with this. So Garth Brooks's emo name, Chris. Gaines. Oh, um, Chris, 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 no, Gaines. Chris Evans. No, Gaines. Chris Haynes, Chris Haynes. There we go. <laughs> Gaines. I was like, Chris, I was like Gaines Chris Evans with a G. Oh, that's Captain. Either way. Chris Gaines, yes. Sorry. I, I, I see Chris a, Evans. I was like, that's Captain America. That's not right. Well, I appreciate that. Might be a little dust on a bottle, but uh, you probably don't want to drink what's inside when it comes to aperitif wines. So make sure that you are drinking something that's a little bit more kind of new and a little bit more fresh than what, uh, what you've got when you go into a liquor store and they – have to let you dust the bottle off in order. I was going to say, so you're saying I should go into a liquor store with uh, 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 white rubber gloves and walk up to my my aperitif wines and just do a quick finger swipe on them to go. Nope, nope, not not going to do it. I think that's probably actually a good idea. If it's got dust on it, just drink straight whiskey. Instead of some sort of uh, vermouth-flavored wine. You heard it here from Have a Drink Show. Instead of drinking aperitif wines, drink straight whiskey. If you are going to go into a liquor store, all right, we've we've written everything. We've gotten to the end of the dock. Here's my deal, okay? Mm -hmm. Go into the liquor store. Whiskey isn't going to age as quick. If you find dust on a bottle of a vermouth... Don't drink it. Right. Go with just straight whiskey on the rocks. If you find a vermouth that actually has, uh, it looks like a new bottle, new label, you're okay. So kind of just move on into that. But otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't drink old vermouth. I will say the biggest takeaway I've learned from today's episode, I always assumed that they just somehow aged 
vermouth like the wine longer to make it fortified. I didn't realize they just went here, just pour some liquor in there. It'll be fine. Um, you may be just aging vermouth longer. Maybe, maybe. But I think that rounds out today's episode. This was very Goodness. interesting. I didn't know like a lot of this. Yeah, I didn't know a lot about <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot about vermouth. I knew uh, I knew its and uses in making a martini, as in you didn't use it <laughs> to make the driest of martinis. You just wait. The official way to make the driest of martinis is to wave a bottle of vermouth over <laughs> over your tin of you know shaking or stirring or whatever you're doing to get the the gin or vodka to the uh, chilled for the right temperature or you know doing that while staring at a picture of the inventor of vermouth <laughs> all right well on that note what are we drinking drink with me friend Brittany, we've already been spoiled but what are you drinking yeah uh not vermouth at all um <laughs> uh, is I'll... it a fortified spirit <laughs> Possibly. No. <laughs> uh, no. I. I. It's fortified. <laughs> As for damn sure. Fortified Indeed. with coffee and chocolate. Uh, no, I. Um, I was uh, able to drink this time around. So, like, you have a, a window <laughs> when you're when you're breast pumping and breastfeeding. In, and a wall. I'll uh, I'll buy you uh, the nice. little strips that let you test. I don't <laughs> think that uh, you a fourteen percenter. Really yeah, no. I'll Listen, probably just have to skip, let me just say this right one. now, and let's see if this happens. I just put in a lift in Eastern Kentucky, which is very rural for a lift. And it says contacting nearby drivers. I'll let you know at the end of the show if they ever see anybody. <laughs> okay. So it would give us an estimate, but you can't get lifts anymore in Northern Kentucky. Probably in Eastern Kentucky either because, because there's state law. Yeah. They changed state, the state law. law. What? You What's can get the Ubers, state law? But you can't get. Uh, it's something about how Lyft operates. They can no longer. Well, operate. That's dumb. I don't want to give Uber money. No, we had that problem before. Yeah. For Oktoberfest, remember we sat here for mm-hmm. like an hour waiting on a Lyft, and then someone was able to get an Uber in twenty minutes. Hmm. Right, because Uber can work on this end of the state lines. So we talked to the Uber driver about this. Okay. Anyway. Um, anyway, I don't know how we got. Okay. Uh. So yeah. No. I um. I wanted a stout. Like, I was just in the mood for, like, something, like, just richer. Like, I wasn't... We have a lot of, like, uh, sours and whatnot in the fridge. Uh, so, I just wanted a stout, and he was like, oh, there's a KBS bottle there. Just, you know, because that's what we do. And mm-hmm. so, I just had a bottle of KBS. Um, a, a bottle, meaning a normal size bottle, not a bomber. Um, just for those aware. There is a bomber in there. Yeah. You could have gone that route. Um, this doesn't, I didn't see anywhere on here. Cause I know, I, or I believe it varies by. It does vary by year. Out. One year was like 11.4. Another is like 12.6. Yeah. And I'm not seeing it on here. Unless I'm just missing it entirely. But, um, cause this is the 2018. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the KBS is always like a, a higher, you know, ABV. Uh, I'm not going to go into the like descriptions and whatnot. We've talked about this ad nauseum on the show. Twelve point three percent. Twelve point three. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we've we've drank it ad nauseum. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's what I was drinking because I really wanted a stout and it it was good. Uh, obviously. <laughs> and um, when Brittany goes, she doesn't go. She goes big or she goes home, and she was already home. Well, it was 
Right. Uh, well, I was, I was telling him um, when like in, that phrasing in the news episode, we were talking about Sierra Nevada and um, for some like what seems to be happening lately is that I went down to like a rabbit hole on their website and I was like, oh, the narwhal sounds really good. And so I then I just. Do you live in the, the ocean? Right. Causing a commotion. Because they, <laughs> are, they so are so awesome. awesome. Huh? Anyway, so it's a it's a st- it's an imperial stout as well, and I really wanted that. But the next Listen, best thing was that we had KBS. <laughs> my local homebrew club did a secret Santa version, and one year I had a narwhal. Oh, barrel aged. Hmm. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for like fifteen people, until one person said, "No, nay, 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 nay." I want his narwhal barrel aged. Oh, and he took it from me. That's just not right. So sad. <sighs> well, I have been drinking uh, Manhattan's. Manhattan's. Uh, Manhattan. New York City. Get rope. <laughs> You got it. You got it. Uh, I've been using uh, Martini and Rossi and probably too much uh, volume to make a proper Manhattan, but it's really difficult to pour it out in like a single drop, <laughs> which is the correct dosage for Manhattans. I drink a 35 to 1 Manhattan because that's uh, the way it's supposed to be. But... Uh, using that and uh, Buffalo Trace uh, as the, the 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 bourbon for it, the whiskey for it, because it was sitting next to me, and uh, also some Rag a little bit. Why don't you? It was left over from when we did the show a couple weeks ago, and also uh, Bourbon County cherries, which I happened to pick up when I was picking up the uh, uh, picking up the vermouth, because I was like, well, if I'm I'm going to go with bourbon. I might as well just keep on going. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, uh, pretty, pretty nice cocktail. Uh, I, again, I'm going a bit too heavy on the vermouth, but it's mostly just due to we're doing an episode on vermouth. Let's try to bring out. It. No, no, I like bourbon. The important thing is you're not drinking it straight. Yeah, because I'm not a monster. <laughs> With a twist. Ugh. With a twist. With a twist. Chris, what are you drinking? I, uh, not drinking vermouth, because that would have been the only option for me, was to drink it straight, because I didn't want to be mixing anything. So after the wife grabbed a stout, I said, hey, a stout sounds great. So I grabbed a dino s'mores from Off Color, dragging over from the last episode. Dino mm-hmm. uh, Dino S'mores, it's their Russian Imperial Stout, comes in at 10.5% ABV, 40 IBUs, beer advocate score of 4.13 out of 5, and this was a collaboration brew with, I forget the other brewery, and I don't think the label actually says who it was with. It's real bad for someone who's not off color. Yeah. I thought it was a weird choice, though, because the one thing I love, one of the things I love about uh, off color is they give you, like, the full ingredients on the side like it tells you all the malts all the hops every like all the adjuncts they put in it but they use nugget hops in their russian imperial stout nugget yeah i thought that was a bold choice it looks like it's partnered with some brewery called a bold choice i don't know how to say it uh a-m-a-g-e-r is the name of the thing 
But that's that's who they d- did that beer with. Anyway, uh, Dino S'mores, delicious, love it. Uh, the coffee variant is actually my one of my absolute favorite stouts, and I did read on their website that that's coming out next month in two packs. Mm. So score. Nice. And then I had to finish everything off because I drank all the Dino S'mores before we were done with this almost two hour beast of an episode. I had to grab a Rubus cacao out of the fridge, which is the raspberry chocolate. Wait, 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 Rubus. Rubus. R U B U S. Rubus, not there's no E. What? Rubeus is founders. The founders one is what you're thinking. Rubeus is founders. Yeah. Oh, it's not Rubeus? No, it's Rubus. Who is it? From he was trying to tell you, but you you wanted to say Rubeus. Mad, so, so Rubeus is Founders uh, Fruited Sour, and this is the Raspberry Chocolate Stout from Mad Tree. So embarrassed. Rubus <laughs> cacao. Casey, Casey, you're embarrassed. Since you're embarrassed, yeah. tell us what you've been drinking. I'm embarrassed, but not embarrassed. Mm. So, at this point, <laughs> I'm trying to get a lift to come to my house and they deny it empirically <laughs> um but either way i one half and one half vermouth and cherry pepsi Ugh. <laughs> oh god ain't half bad Ugh. so drunk. i've done a traditional manhattan uh-huh. one one part vermouth sweet vermouth uh-huh. to five parts whiskey mm-hmm and let me say whiskey means half of a bourbon and half of a um, rye whiskey. So 90 proof bourbon and 100 proof uh, rye whiskey. Half and half with one part vermouth. Okay. But if you add a little bit of cherry Pepsi to that. A cherry cola. Cherry cola. Not bad. So vermouth to me, Martini and Rossi vermouth tastes a little bit like cherry cola, but some like bitter cherry cola. So, you know, if you like that kind of flavor, go for it. I don't think I do, but Casey Price half and half is a 90 proof bourbon and a rye. Half? Half and half. Half. Half of E.H. Taylor's half. (laughs) In the meantime, though, if you don't know what you like, you could subscribe and have some great resources at HaveADrinkShow.com and follow us at HaveADrinkShow. Whatever you want on uh, social media and Twitch.tv. Have a drink show, period. Just follow us there. Just do it. Yeah. You can tell us. You can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website, which also has links to our new store. Yeah, it's feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. All right, guys, all joking and fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone, please drink responsibly. Even if you're already home, go ahead and get that lift like Casey's if, doing. Being a responsible it, drinker. If it will let you get it. If you can find one. I'm trying right now. My wife won't take me to the bar, so I'm trying to get the lift to take me to the bar, and she will hate me either way, but it just says contact a nearby driver. Look at that. 
Go go to our Twitch channel and you can see right now. I'm trying. <laughs> trying to get a so lift sad. to the bar from his house at 1130. Yeah, so, uh... <laughs> if I were in Lexington, this wouldn't happen. Or Cincinnati. That's true. Fair. Yeah. Uh, okay, so check us out next Saturday. Um... <laughs> Maybe Casey will have his lift by then. He can try an Uber. I, I would hope not. I, tried both, be there. I literally have both going right now. Uh, okay, so if you love today's hates. episode, uh, you can check out patreon.com slash have a drink show. Oh, dear. Once again, I'm Brittany e. Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. <laughs> I'm Christopher Walker. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>